electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Wall Street heading to another down week. We're in a precarious position. As traders absorb grim warnings from corporate America about a looming recession. It's already been bad. And it's not October yet. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg on the last minute deal preventing train workers from striking. I will point to a bigger pattern in transportation, which is you're seeing a lot of situations where uh, the pay would look healthy from the outside in. And billionaire no more, the founder of Patagonia giving it all away. He effectively said, I don't need any money anymore. I'm done. All that today, plus football debuts on Amazon Prime, a last dance record and more. I certainly don't want to talk really very much more about the markets. You've had enough of the markets already. It's been a rough week. It's Friday, September 16th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go. Let's talk a little bit about today's top corporate story. A lot of people focused on this. FedEx shares are down and they are down sharply. The company's latest earnings and revenue falling short of estimates. And the shipping giant now withdrawing its financial forecast it issued just three months ago. FedEx saying a global demand slowdown picked up at the end of last month and it expects conditions to worsen. So pick up the pickup idea, by the way, is worse. It's not pick up as in good. It's pick up as in bad. Uh, here's the CEO on Mad Money with Jim Cramer last night. The U.S. Uh, consumer uh, has, you know, definitely spending less. But, you know, the U.S. has been somewhat insulated because the U.S. dollar is, uh, you know, is, a, is, is the currency of choice for the world. And there's some insulation there. But, you know, I do see the U.S. is slowing down, too. And FedEx telling investors it's going to be cutting costs, including shutting some FedEx office stores, consolidating sorting facilities and reducing labor hours. Shares of rival delivery companies and some e-commerce companies have been falling uh, on that FedEx report. Take a look at UPS, XPO, Logistics and Amazon among the names that are trading lower. Of course, FedEx is a sort of bellwether, uh, not just of everything, but Amazon in particular. Well, and, and if you watch the transports from here, I mean, right. that, that's going to be the huge concern. The transports usually are the leading indicator of a big recession coming. Watching this news and hearing what happens, um, I think it's going to be a big concern. By the way, those were some of the weakest stocks that you saw in Europe this morning, too. Right. Um, transportation Taking stocks. everything down. It's Friday at the end of a pretty precarious week for stocks. Take a look at the damage this week. And again, this is before you see What's been happening here, a 3.7% decline for the Dow Industrials so far. S&P is down by more than 4%. The Nasdaq off by 4.6%. It is a quadruple witching Friday. People wondering about what's going to be happening with that. And if you've been watching the Treasury market, 
You know, yields have picked up pretty significantly. So Joe, clicking, uh, ticking closer to the 4% terminal rate people had talked about that Leesman's been talking about, uh, ticks higher every day. The British pound hitting a 37-year low against the dollar this morning, falling below $1.14 for the first time since 1985. Just the strength of the dollar continues in all of this, as the Fed is expected to raise rates pretty significantly. I, 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 I like that word precarious, but I don't like it in, in the way you used it because it it's already been bad. And you know and what? It's not October yet. But you precarious know what means you're on a cliff, oh, right? It's, you're ready. Yeah. Yep. It's not what's already happened. It's what you're what's saying about now. what I am thinking about. What's that's what I mean. October. I don't like that. that, that you're saying we're I mean, it was bad enough this week. And if we're perched you on feeling the, like we've hit bottom though this week. No, I what do we know? The last thing you want to do is pick your bottom. This is true. But what we heard yesterday from Barry Stern, like what FedEx said FedEx, yesterday. I know. That Jim, was weird. The CEO to Jim Cramer. I mean, that was really significantly concerning. And when you put it in plain English that a year ago, mortgage rates were 3% and now they're 6%. So who's going to, I mean, how much is that? What, what is the cost of buying a house? Uh, for, for a normal higher. person, so people are going to have so to rent. Gonna, well, nobody's going to move. Right, and people right. are going to have to rent, and the renter, the, who, whoever's renting is going to say, okay, you're going to have to pay this. Yes. So, you know, so that, that's going to be inflationary. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, we're in a precarious position. Well, that's how I feel. I mean, I, I know. It's, but it was, I, I thought you were, it's been a horrific week it's been already. It's a horrific week, but, I, but it we're in a precarious what, position. It scares yeah. me about what is I think that's the right word. That's what I was thinking on the way in this morning, yeah. just... What happens with October? Are, are we getting the pain out now? Here or it is. Set us up for something. And, worse? and Monday we said, hey, it's September 12th or 11th or whatever it was, and uh, 12th, and we're not worried about October. Now we are worried. General Electric trading lower. The company's CFO telling an investment conference that supply chain issues are still affecting the company's ability to deliver products to customers in a timely manner. As a result, the company's cash flow. Uh, it remains under pressure, 66 now. So what does that equate to pre-reverse pre split? Um, I think it was a one for eight, wasn't it? Yeah. So You know what you can't uh, distort the market cap, uh, regardless of how many shares you've got out, 75 billion. Um, that's before today's, at, 60, at $68 a share, it was 75 billion, which uh, down a little from the 600 billion um, back in the, uh, the days of Welch, the days of yore. Global investors are listening to these corporate comments on business conditions ahead of next week's Fed meeting. And here's what Barry Sternlich told us yesterday. I am uh, sort of losing my, I'm losing my proverbial with the Fed. I mean, I, I think this is an academic institution that was so late raising rates when everyone said the economy was out of control. There was pure speculation in the stock market. We were seeing crazy behavior that, and they did nothing. Now that inflation arrived and actually is headed down, they are raising rates too aggressively. This will be the fifth rate raise, rate rise this year. It's the steepest increase in rates in history. The FOMC will begin its gathering on Tuesday, and a decision and J-PAL news conference is set for Wednesday. So this is what the markets have been keying off ahead of all of this. And the Chiefs uh, beat the Chargers last night. Thursday night football, the final score, 27-24. Uh, but beyond the action on the field, reviews and fan reaction coming in this morning about uh, Amazon Prime. Last night was the first time an NFL game was carried exclusively uh, by a streaming service. Mike Francesa tweeting, I will 
Uh, watch a game on any platform, but Prime has to do a much better job with the quality of the video. Just terrible. Uh, fans looking for the game on their normal cable dials uh, were disappointed. Spectrum replying to a customer's tweet saying, Thursday Night Football is now on Amazon Prime. Amazon has a contract uh, with the NFL. We are sorry for uh, the inconvenience. I think last night, um, our uh, parent network did the Thursday, last week, did the Thursday Night Game, and I think it was also on Amazon Prime, but you had a, obviously you could have watched it on, uh, on normal TV. We had to think of it. I saw a Roger Goodell, a picture of Roger Goodell in box with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, we had Jason Robbins of DraftKings on uh, last week. The, the, the deal that they're doing now, and, and they're going to cancel this, is not going because it's working out too well for, for people. So if your team, either team, you pick on the money line. If either during the game they're up seven points, they close the bet and you win. We're running an awesome promotion where if either team, you bet on either team, if they go up by seven, at any point in the game, you just get paid out right away. Doesn't matter if they end up winning or what happens. So, um, I didn't see that. Really, is a maximum twenty-five dollars? I don't know what the max is. I have to check, but uh, you should go check it out. It's it's pretty cool promotion. So last night there was a point where the Chargers were up by seven, who I took because I had I had, I had better odds with the Chargers, so I got I got a, a better 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 return. But both Kansas City and the Chargers were both up by seven at one point during the game. So both sides got paid off. So there's no way they're right. gonna, this isn't going to last much longer. Am I, am I wrong? I, I thought that NBC, our parent company, is Was providing some of the production services for Amazon. For Amazon. So why yes. wouldn't it be? I don't know. Is it a streaming uh, issue. Uh, is the issue about the video quality itself, about, or was yeah, it about the production what quality? That's what was saying. I don't know. Yeah, well, no, you mean the actual it, editorial versus? Well, I the thought technical. that that's what the real. I thought the critique wasn't that you know it was uh, buffering. We're gonna, I thought it was it was it, they didn't like how it was what? being, you know, oh, how, how the show was being put together. But late. the show was actually being put together, from what I understand, by in concert with some of the folks from NBC. We're going to beat this story to death today. So yeah. we're, we're going to find out one way or another because I certainly don't want to talk really very much more about the markets. You've had enough of the markets already. But yeah, I've just, 627. Uh, it's been a rough week. No, it's been, too much. It's been a difficult We need week. to, but it's certainly, uh, it's a little unpleasant. Piece of Michael Jordan's last dance just waltzed into an auction block record. Jordan's jersey from game one of the 1998 NBA Finals. You have this? You have one? I don't have this. You I have a white glove, a Michael Jackson glove. No, no, I actually have a, I do have a jersey, not his, the one he wore. You do have one. Of course I do. Oh, my God. And I, my, I mean, I have the card. You're not going to have that for long. Uh, the NBA, <laughs> you're selling that, baby. The 1998 NBA, this sold for $10.1 million at auction. Right. But he wore it. Sell okay. it, Andrew. Sell it all. That, I got all. <laughs> Monetize. That, that makes it the most expensive piece of game-worn sports memorabilia ever. In that uniform, Jordan scored 33 points in a win uh, over the Utah Jazz. You know who I bet has a huge collection that's worth a ton of money, too? Who? Darren Ravel. He's always yep. got this stuff that's oh, showing he? off yeah. on, on Twitter and things. Former CNBC. Right. Former CNBC. yeah. He's remember, still around. Do you remember that shot against the Jazz to win? Um, I don't remember the actual shot. I remember a lot of his, a couple of those games where he just was like, I don't know what's happening. Everything's going in. It was, it was pretty cool. I just have like a photo I have in my brain, just the follow through the whole thing. You need the NFT? Do I need the NFT? You need the NFT of oh, that, that picture. Yes. Or I could just get it on Google. Or you could just get it on Google for, for nothing. Yeah, well, either or. Cheese will be next. 
Coming up, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg on the 11th hour deal struck to avert a costly rail strike. And what stubborn inflation does to legislation branded to reduce inflation. We gotta have a whole other conversation over a drink about how bills get named, uh, the, the acronyms they come up with, the names we come up with, I get it. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Still standing, they should be home in bed <laughs> 20 straight hours. And I want to thank both business and labor. Look, the rail system literally is the backbone of the nation. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. Railroads and unions representing thousands of workers reaching a tentative agreement to avoid what could have been an economically devastating strike. That breakthrough came after months of negotiations and a final 20-hour push that included a Wednesday evening phone call from President Biden himself. Joining us right now for more on the details is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you for being here today. I, I think we all have a lot of questions about what happened, the biggest one being this idea that this is a tentative agreement. It still has to be approved by the union members themselves. Do you get the sense that they will, in fact, sign off on these terms? I think it does have a lot of support as it goes out to members. Remember, uh, this is a deal with hard-fought wins for, uh, for the workers and one that the railroads were able, after moving quite a bit, uh, to agree to. And it's a deal that enjoys the uh, support of the administration after the president himself got involved, urging the parties to reach a deal to uh, do the moving that it took to find that that deal space. So I do think as, as the next few weeks play out and it, it goes to the members, uh, it's going to have a lot of momentum and a lot of propulsion to get through and to get finalized. We'd heard a lot of the terms ahead of time. These were things that the White House panel um, had recommended and that I believe the railroads themselves had signed off on things like a 24 percent pay cre increase between the years 2020 and 2025 with a uh, something like, or I guess 2020 and 2024, with something like a 14% increase immediately, some big payouts that went along the way. But we'd also heard that some of the union membership was not okay with that. They wanted more paid sick days, more flexibility, more relief from the precision railroading that's out there. What, what, did, what were the specifics that kind of pushed this over the end goal? That's right. Uh, they came in with a, a big pay increase over the, the full life of the contract. It comes to a 24% uh, increase through that, uh, I believe, five-year stretch. But the issue that uh, was still, or one of the key issues that was still outstanding, had to do with quality of life. Remember, for these railroad workers, it, it's uh, very, very different than than how it is for, uh, you know, if you work in an office. They'll be on call for several days at a time. 
and sometimes can't get even unpaid, let alone paid uh, time off if, for example, they need a medical appointment or something like that. They can't actually do that without incurring a penalty because of the way the attendance policies work in an industry that has now really reduced the number of workers to, uh, uh, to a level that it's, it's not very resilient if anybody's unavailable for a day. So these issues, I think, uh, became a, a, a real point of contention, a real concern for, for members and for the unions. And they were able at the table to win uh, new accommodations on that, new ways to be able uh, to get paid and unpaid time to, to take care of family matters, to take care of uh, medical matters that need attention. There are a couple of other things related to their health care and uh, other matters that need to be resolved. And uh, these were still being negotiated uh, late into uh, the, the, the night, but uh, it, it uh, took a turn I think first when the president called uh, personally, not the first time he'd engaged in this issue, but when he called into that room at the Department of Labor uh, where Secretary Marty Walsh had convened people, they'd probably already been in there for more than 12 hours at that point, stressed the importance of getting to a deal. Uh, and then uh, I got some uh, indications of good news around two in the morning that uh, they had hit a, a real turning point in the room by 5 a.m. Uh, we were able to publicly share the good news. Mr. Secretary, that was uh, good news, obviously. And we're all you know, worrying about inflation and we got some data points this week um, that were a little bit shocking. And there's a lot of discussion about that ceremony uh, on Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. James Taylor. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you gone. And uh, while you were listening. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. This is a great and celebratory day. The Inflation Reduction Act, passed by Congress a month ago, will go down as one of the most important legislative feats in decades. What a thrill it is to be here to celebrate this life-changing legislation. And, and watching what was going on, was it clear to you at the time that that was a mistake, that to be shop, uh, you know, popping champagne corks about conquering inflation on a day when the stock market at that very moment was down almost 1,300 points, over 1,200 points, after another really horrific inflation report. As we're getting the job done for the American people, and we're just getting started. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Did you say to yourself at that time, what are we doing? This, this looks really bad. No, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there are dynamics, reports, and stock market movements, sometimes big ones like, like we saw earlier this week, that happen over the course of a day. But the consequences of this legislation, the benefits of this legislation, are going to serve us well for the rest of our lifetimes. Remember, this represents the most significant climate legislation passed by any country ever. In the year 2030, the year 2050, we will be looking back at the passage of this legislation, I believe, as a turning point that helped us avoid some of the worst uh, outcomes of climate change that could destroy trillions of dollars in value and cost millions of lives. In a more immediate sense, it also represents relief for families. The president successfully finally getting what pretty much every American, if not every member of Congress, thinks we should have been doing for a long time, which is finally letting Medicare negotiate drug prices and, of course, lowering the deficit by doing but, so. But on, the, on that day, it looked really tone deaf. I mean, what, what you're telling me, so just stick to the script. 
the economy is great, the border is secure, our cities are safe. Wouldn't it be no better, wouldn't it be better to just sold. be honest? Wouldn't it be better to just be honest with the American people about the soup that we're in right now, and, and we can all try to deal with it together instead no, of no, just nobody's saying that our nobody's saying we don't have any problems. But if you don't pause and recognize the meaning of one of the most significant pieces of legislation so far in the 21st century, just because we also have a lot of other problems we're contending with as a country, then then I think you're you're really feeding into a narrative that's, that's uh, you know, pulling America down and holding America back. Uh, of course, we have a lot more work to do in the fight against inflation, uh, in, uh, in the economy, and a number of things that, uh, uh, that need attention. But, but if we just ignore the significance of legislative achievements that some people thought were dead and buried uh, just days before they actually happened, if we ignore what it means to have created 10 million jobs, most of any presidency in the history of the republic, uh, if we ignore the momentum that has been built, then uh, then we're not doing our part to to, to support people it, who are going to help but, us uh, with the next. But it wasn't named. It wasn't named the Climate Act. It, you, you deliberately and some people would say erroneously named it the Inflation Reduction Act, and you're celebrating it on the day when again we had 40-year highs in inflation. And you know how that affects people that uh, you know on the low end of things. It, it's like the most insidious problem that that you know an economy can face. And it's just right. to and be the, celebrating the, course, the on that day. About, it, it just, yeah, the worst it's, thing about inflation is that it means people are paying too much by definition uh, for things. And what this bill does is allows people to pay less for things, paying less for energy, paying less for these home retrofits, paying less for prescription drugs, uh, paying less for insulin if you're on Medicare. As you know, Republicans successfully blocked us from getting $35 a month insulin to everybody, but we were able to get it to uh, Medicare recipients and uh, even paying less for electric vehicles. So uh, this is part of the fight against the effects that inflation have on people. Look, we got to have a whole other conversation over a drink about how bills get named, uh, the, the acronyms they come up with, the names we come up with. I get it. I mean, there, there are a lot of different things that are part of this bill, uh, only some of which uh, are related to inflation, but in, in my view, all of which are going to make a big, very positive and historic difference for the American people. Mr. Secretary, let's just stick on this theme of inflation because um, everyone agrees this was fantastic that this strike was averted. Uh, but when you speak to some of the leaders of industry, they will look at things like this pay hike, these pay hikes that come through. This was for a five-year contract that we're already three years into, so this is really backward-looking. Um, you're talking about a 24% pay increase over that time, and you have to start renegotiating again in, in, in two years' time. You'll be back in the same situation. Um, that'll still fall under your watch, uh, under this administration's watch, when you're going to be talking about that same group coming back and asking for, for, for more money, rightly so, because of the inflationary outlook out there. I think this is where economists and, and, and people who watch inflation really worry. When it gets into wages and becomes much stickier, it could be a problem that persists for years. This is something we've been hearing about from Jason, Jason Furman and others. Um, what do you think on that front? Yeah, I mean, that's why we're closely watching not only the, the backward-looking numbers about how prices have changed over the last month or over the last year, uh, and of course, encouraging if you look month to month, but, but uh, still uh, very, very high uh, and, and something we're continuing to confront with everything we've got if you look year to year. But we also have to look at expectations because expectations can become self-fulfilling. I would say, though, that the dynamics in the rail labor industry are, are distinct. You're talking about an industry that has 
uh, operated at comparable levels while reducing its workforce by almost a third in a matter of just a few years. So the, the productivity of rail workers uh, has uh, gone up extraordinarily, uh, arguably to a point that has made the system not as resilient as it should be and certainly created some stress on workers, which is part of what you saw being expressed in the unions insisting uh, not only on this pay raise, but on quality of life improvements. Uh, but what that means is I think that the economics within this industry uh, are distinct. So are the laws covering this industry. Uh, you know, you look at the Rail Labor Act, I mean, the fact that uh, you could even be in a situation where you go uh, the better part of three years without a contract negotiating. Uh, that, that's uh, something that, that is really a, an artifact of this industry in particular. But I will point to a bigger pattern in transportation, which is you're seeing a lot of situations where uh, the pay would look healthy from the outside in, uh, but still for essential workers, the quality of life issues are so big that it's become a recruiting and retention challenge. We've talked about truck drivers before on this program, often able to get good pay, but uh, also uh, just things like uh, being able to uh, find safe and secure parking, a fundamental uh, part, part of their being able to come to work has been a challenge. And by the way, we're working on that. Yesterday, we announced our latest round of infra grants, mostly geared toward the supply chain, including truck parking projects in Florida and Tennessee. And I think there's going to be more where that came from. But whether we're talking about flight attendants, truck drivers, rail workers, uh, we really have to be paying attention not only to pay, but to quality of life. Let's talk about what's happening with the economy and the signs we're getting from some of these transportation companies. FedEx last night warning that its earnings were going to come in well below expectations. The CEO telling Jim Cramer that he sees weakness, severe weakness in Asia and Europe. That's really what caused it. But he says he also sees this coming to the United States. Are you hearing that from other companies that you're dealing with? We're, we're certainly clear eyed about the headwinds that we're facing. Uh, we're seeing a, a, a lot of uh, uh, these concerns and, and questions coming up. Still a lot of growth, uh, obviously still uh, exceptionally low unemployment. But uh, you look at the instability that there is, uh, the consequences in Europe of the Ukraine war, uh, the fact that we're still far from seeing the end of the uh, ripple effects of the uh, COVID and pandemic-related shocks. Uh, I think that uh, it's not a surprise that you see this kind of uncertainty reported by some of these companies. And it's something we're closely watching and trying to uh, deal with it to the extent that we can do anything helpful. For example, on the logistics side, uh, with FedEx and, and, and some of their competitors and other uh, companies involved in, uh, in shipping as partners, uh, we're working on making sure there's better data sharing in the logistics sector and in our supply chains uh, so that things are moving in a smoother way, which, you know, whether whether you've got uh, red hot economic growth or more normal times or even softness, it's going to be a good move that helps take some of the inefficiency out of the system. Secretary Buttigieg, thank you for your time this morning. And let us know when you're in town and when I have that drink. Well, there. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Not that drink, those drinks. <laughs> well, you know what I always say. Those first six go down really smooth. Next on Squawk Pod, giving it all away. The kids believe that every billionaire is a policy failure. He said that. Sportswear company Patagonia's founder made billions and now... No more. The former billionaire wants to reimagine capitalism. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. FedEx. 
You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand under by in three, two, one, cue Ander. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square and I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kern. And the founders of Patagonia is now giving away his entire company. The apparel maker started half a century ago is now worth about $3 billion. The privately held company's stock is now going to be owned by a trust and a group of nonprofit organizations which will then use all the profits not reinvested into the business to protect the planet. In a letter about his decision, the founder writes in part, while we're doing our best to address the environmental crisis, it is not enough. We needed to find a way to put more money into fighting the crisis while keeping the company's values intact. Now, we said that one option was to sell the company and donate the money, but the concern there was how a new owner would ultimately act. He goes on to say, quote, Another path was to take the company public. What a disaster that would have been. Even public companies with good intentions are under too much pressure to create short-term gain at the expense of long-term vitality and responsibility. Truth be told, uh, he says there were no good options available, so we created our own. This is a story that so many people are talking about. He effectively said, I don't need any money anymore. I'm done which I think unto itself is sort of a fascinating decision. By the way, at one point they went down the road of looking at a SPAC about in terms of how they could raise money and what they were going to ultimately this do with it. a better way to keep it pure. The, the kids, this to me was so interesting. The kids, his kids, didn't want the company and ultimately didn't want the money. They believe he says, quote, and, he, and, and I think this is true of this family, Uh, The kids believe that every billionaire is a policy failure. He said that. And it was just so interesting to sort of see him. But look, he's putting his money or his money where his mouth is. He's living. You know, we often talk about people who are hypocrites, say one thing, they do something else, they're virtue signaling, this or that. This this guy is living exactly the way he wants to do. I want to help. 100% agree with you. I want to help spend it. And I do. And and I I want to find we're going to find some common ground here. So. You want to help spend his money. I want to help spend it on, on, I think that there's a lot that could be done. And I think a lot of issues get really short shrift. So in, now in you're today. the U.S. government. Uh, no, I, should, I want I to help decide. him spend it. I, I don't want, I think the singular focus on emissions is wrong. I think, here, here's what I would, just let's find some common ground here. Okay. Water pollution. Right. Think of the oceans. Think of our streams. Think of, think of our rivers. I would like every person on this planet to be able to have access to clean water, right. where it didn't take four hours to get. Yep. Um, air pollution, disgusting, air that's not breathable, air that's not breathable. We, do you know how much waste we generate that will take centuries to go away, both nuclear waste, plastics that are in the ocean, ocean acidification, wildlife conservation, overfishing, yep. um, deforestation, overpopulation, the, the resources of the earth are not sustainable. Right. I think the singular focus, honestly, and this is where we're going to find common ground. This is a Brett. This, you are now. You are now the U.S. government. No, no. This is a Brett, Brett Bear's latest thing is common ground. He had Kevin Hassett, Kevin Gra- and, Kevin and, and Jason Furman your... both right. on at the same time talking about, and they found all this common ground. I, I, I'm the biggest environmentalist in the world, but we, we, we need to do things that we can actually make a difference on. If India and China continue to emit, if we continue to, to chase this singular CO2 obsession, what, are any of those not good causes that I did, or, or things that we, we need? I mean, yeah, industrial waste. you can spend all waste. your money on that. It's like you're deciding what somebody else spends. No, I'm, I'm just saying if you're going to try to save the planet, those are some of the things 
that I think money should be directed towards. Uh, the other things, what, uh, a, a rush to, to renewables, which has put us into this mess that we're in right now, a singular focus on stopping hydrocarbon production? No. I, look, I, I would just say for somebody to put their to put it up and say while they're living. Save the planet. Living, what does that mean, though? Doesn't Save matter. the planet. I'm going to give my money away right. to charitable foundations. No, that's good. But, I, I but, think that's a great but thing. It, and I would say there's a lot of ways to save the planet to say, that don't sure. entail trace levels sure. of, of carbon dioxide. To me, the larger story is about this this guy and this company oh, okay. and what they've built. And they've built an extraordinary company. And I, But to me, what's so interesting about it is just that he's decided not only to give, give the money away, but that he doesn't believe that you can actually run a company in the private sector. I mean, that's the other, to me, interesting issue about it's this. It's a pure which, idea, to not take the SPAC, to do it. And, and, it's and he does it, well, but there, by the way, there's people who think, okay, you turn it into a not-for-profit, he's now not gonna be involved. Um, are there incentives, I don't wanna say incentives align, but if, if, if profit is not the motive anymore, does that change things? I mean, I think there's some very interesting things. And I would just also suggest, once you get into, look, as you know, I believe in all of the environmental issues that you're talking about. I, I don't think anyone's going to dispute those. But by the way, to get to those, there's lots of things that I would imagine are on the other side of that debate. So the circular economy, you could start to reg you, people would re effectively regulate Apple and say, you can't make a new phone every year or your phone has to be disposable right. or your right. And then. By the way, other people would turn around and say, well, it's a free market. If they want to make the new phone, they should make the new phone. They, you shouldn't be able to tell them how to make the new phone. So it, all this becomes very complicated. This, this is not that different than the giving pledge where uh, all these billionaires that are, are earmarking, whether it's cancer research, whether it, and they all have, uh, you know, have different ideas of what to do. Ideas of what Andrew, to do. You, yeah. you have not been in favor of people being able to give away their money and not pay some you to the U.S. government. Get rid of the right. pay about seventeen and a half million dollars on a three billion dollars. Cut off all the, is that the fair? philanthropy. Look, as you know, I think that there should be some, there should be some arrangement somewhere along the line where we have a cutoff. I don't know what you that think is. it's a privilege for someone to be it. able. You, you think it's no, a privilege for someone to be able. To, to earmark their uh, what they've earned in a lifetime, you you think that's a rich person's privilege to earmark it towards their pet cause. You've said that before, and it shouldn't right. be deductible. Well, no, that's no. a crazy. No, no. My notion. view is that at some point, I don't know what the number is, but maybe there's a. It's not deductible. They didn't right. get. No, they no. Didn't get maybe there's away. a twenty million dollar a year uh, allowance. Whatever you, you whatever you, you do, every is year gonna, you can contribute you're gonna twenty hurt million dollars. Away. You're going to hurt it. That's effectively not tax uh, tax free or um, that there's no benefit, but. After that, because of the because there is no capital gains on this, there's no capital gains. So this is three issue. billion dollars that's not going right. to get paid to any government. And, is right. that okay? And arguably, because right. they're spending all of it, they're not keeping any of it. They're giving all of it away. But that effectively means that. But they're uh, giving it to their causes, not to. Right, and that means that uh, you and I and everybody who's watching watching this broadcast, right. for the most part, right, are effectively subsidizing. <laughs> Those folks. Yeah. That, that's who, what I mean. So yes. a, it, it's a, it's You'd rather have situation. it go. You like I it. wish that there was a, a way to capture yeah. some of that so that that part of it is democratic. Meaning, what, if, what if that then meant they had to sell the company and that Patagonia couldn't continue at that point because we can only keep a, a one and a half billion of it and the other one and a half billion has to go to taxes or something. And, that, and as a result, the I company can't do what they you know, can't This do is the argument about yeah. farms, family farms. But I that's, think what, at that's some what I mean. It's a, this is a, like a crazy example of the stuff you want, you want, you want the government scale. to get it so they can spend $1,400 on toilet seats. And, and 90 cents of what they spend goes no. down the drain. You, you don't think private is, no, is, is a bet? You, you want to give it to this government, to this government we have right now that you're watching in I action. I don't think that our government necessarily spends the money uh, uh, 
properly. What I think we have a we, look. You've talked about we we're printing money. Why are we printing money? Hello. Uh, we're, we were during the pandemic. We were giving away money left and right to anybody. And people still aren't coming back. But hold on. The point was, we did that. Two, two taxpayers. Who is supposed to pay for that? Who is supposed to pay for that? If we all That's sit around and say, such an and nobody experiment. can pay for it. This is such an interesting experiment. I mean, there are so many questions that it raises on every front. We could probably talk about this for the rest of the morning, but yep. they're playing us out, so they we are. don't get to water. We'll like love plastic. water. Matt Damon, love water. Uh, and, and, and all. Let's make it clean okay. and make it available for everybody. Okay, good. I don't think anyone's going to be expected. It's that. getting short shrift. That's Squawk Pod for today and for this week. Thank goodness it's Friday. And thank goodness for you, our listeners. We love hearing from you. So please send us your thoughts on Twitter. Our handle is at Squawk CNBC. Or take a minute to rate and review Squawk Pod on the Apple Podcasts app. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the best of our show, the smartest interviews and analysis, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We will meet you right back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.